Bye, kids. I'll miss you. (laughs) Our second lesson for today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. Listen for the word of the Lord. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. So they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Perhaps you know the feeling. You know, deep in your body somewhere. When you know that something's going right or you know that something is going wrong. When your body and your mind and your emotions all sync up and you have a moment of clarity. For some of us, we might be able to locate a particular spot in our body when we feel this way. For me, it's like right in the pit of my stomach. My body is alerting me to something that's happening inside, in my mind, in my emotions, or maybe outside of me, in my interactions with others, or as I experience the world. All of my senses are activated, and there's something that just feels different. We have a lot of options when we try to name these feelings. If we want to use maybe some Christian language, we would say, oh, that's the spirit working. Or maybe we'd say, oh, that's my conscience trying to tell me something. place that I've been in recently is learning how to trust my own body and to listen to what it says. And for me, this means listening to something that we might call 
intuition. So I would invite you right now to pause and to think about a time when you felt like your intuition was telling you something. You had a gut instinct about something good. You met a new friend or a new person and you felt energized. This new person helped you see life in a new way and you wanted to keep learning about them. Maybe you had a positive experience at work and your intuition told you that you were in the right place and that you had something you could contribute. Maybe you felt stuck in old patterns and old habits, but something inside of you said, this has to change. And you decided that it was going to be you that was going to create new patterns and new habits. I'm sure all of us in this room have stories about times when our intuition led us and alerted us to places of great joy and personal fulfillment. But at the same time, I'm also sure that we've experienced times when our intuition failed us. Times when you thought, you felt, or experienced something that turned out to be not quite what you thought. Maybe you didn't see the end of your marriage coming. You weren't ready for your loved one to die. You didn't recognize the signs at work that you were going to lose your job. Perhaps you found yourself in line at the food bank with no warning. Or that you didn't have a roof over your head. Your intuition told you to be vulnerable and honest about who you are. And you were met with rejection and disgust. So when our intuition fails us, I think we're faced with an inevitable question, which is, can I ever trust myself again? Well, this is exactly the story that we're dropped into this morning in our text. So imagine with me maybe how the disciples and friends of Jesus must have been feeling. So they knew this guy who claimed to be different than any other person that they knew. He claimed to be the son of God. And as they spent more time with him, they believed him. Of course, the road was bumpy, and they didn't always get it right, but they tried their best to follow their intuition, and their intuition said something was special about this man. I can't imagine that they left their entire lives behind to follow him if they hadn't felt in their hearts burning somewhere that this was different, that this was special. And yet we know how the story goes, right? Jesus died a horrible, merciless, humiliating death at the hands of the very empire his followers were hoping he would dismantle. And then, as if they couldn't be more disoriented and traumatized, he rose from the dead. I can't even imagine the mixture of emotions they must have been feeling. Shock, joy, maybe distrust, like Thomas. I don't know about you, but at this point, I probably would have thrown my hands in the air and decided never to trust my intuition again. So in the story today... Peter and the other disciples decided to do the only thing they knew how to do after all this emotional whiplash. They went back to work. They went to fish. 
They went back to their muscle memory, and yet even that didn't work for them. They didn't catch anything. So the morning comes, and Jesus appears on the beach. Hard to tell if he's speaking affectionately to them, like my friends, or boys, children, how are you doing? Or more sarcastically, kids, did you really expect to catch any fish last night? But in that moment, Jesus provides for them. He instructs them to throw their nets in the water. And not only is there fish, but there is so much fish that the nets can barely hold them. So Jesus' provision in this moment is not just helping them to make ends meet, right? It is abundant and it's overflowing. That's something to pay attention to. So Peter, once he realizes that it's Jesus, does what Peter does best. He's kind, he has a reputation to be impulsive and emotional, even violent, prone to make rash decisions because he is so devo- devoted and so loyal to Jesus. So he just jumps off the boat in haste because it's his friend and it's his Lord. In my own study and reflection this week, What happens next, actually, is the part of the story that caught my attention the most. A lot of the commentaries are really focused on the miracle that Jesus creates all of these fish, or that helps them find these fish. But I saw something different in my reading. So when Peter and the rest arrive on the shore, the story says that they saw a charcoal fire with fish cooking on it and bread. Now, I didn't stop on this the first few times I read it on my own, but what I learned is that the second, this is the second time in John that a charcoal fire is mentioned. So that seems rather innocuous on its own, right? Until I read further. The only other time that a charcoal fire is mentioned specifically in this gospel is where? It's in the Passion story before Jesus has been killed and was about to go to be questioned. And it says that the slaves and the police made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing around warming themselves. So this is the setting of the story where Peter denies knowing Jesus. It is no accident that the charcoal fire is mentioned here because it's pointing back to Peter's failure. The charcoal fire is Peter's trauma point. The charcoal fire represents the complete failure of Peter's intuition. It is the physical centerpiece for the moment when he compromises his devotion and loyalty to Jesus. So that charcoal fire that day on the shore must have been triggering. Or at least I imagine it would have been triggering for me. So, again, I would invite you to take a moment and ask yourself, what is your charcoal fire? What is the fixture of your own pain and sadness and trauma? What is the thing that stops you dead in your tracks, that raises your pulse, that gets you short of breath, the thing that takes the wind out of your sails? We, like Peter, don't get the option to leave our pain behind us, even if we might desperately want to do that. 
It's almost like trauma is the mark of sin on us. Original trauma that existed long before us. So Peter and all of us walk into moments of joy and reunion holding a lot. But when we try to erase our pain in moments of joy or map resurrection life over trauma or assume that the resurrection of Jesus smooths over the cracks and the scars of our failed intuition, we are in danger of dishonoring our stories. The resurrection doesn't mean that we don't bear the mark or the memory of our pain. In fact, it is quite literally the opposite in the body, the physical body of Jesus. Because Jesus' resurrection body still has scars and holes and the evidence of the cross. And likewise, Peter has to reckon with the charcoal fire and the resurrection of Jesus at the same time in the same space with the same people. He doesn't get a pass on confronting his baggage and neither do we. But the good news, the good news of this story is that Jesus cooks a meal over the embers of Peter's failure. Jesus takes the symbol of Peter's greatest inadequacy, but doesn't allow that to be the only meaning, right? It actually becomes the very source of Peter's sustenance, a meal. The meaning of the fire, it doesn't stagnate over the fire. It evolves and it changes and it moves Peter toward health and abundance and life. And how appropriate that it happens over a meal, from a miracle, from an overflowing of resources and needs being met. So I want to take trauma seriously, but I also want to believe that we don't have to live in it forever. So to close, I'm reminded of a movie. Maybe some of you have seen it. It's called The Silver Linings Playbook. And it's about a man who is reckoning with his own trauma from a divorce and his struggle with anxiety and depression and mental health. And so throughout the movie, he's constantly triggered by a song that he and his ex-wife loved. So anytime that the song plays, he becomes erratic and violent as he relives his pain. And through the course of the movie, he falls in love with a woman who helps him work through his pain. And there's a particular scene when that song starts to play. And before he has a chance to launch into his flashbacks over this song, she looks him in the eyes and she says, what are you going to do about that song? You're going to live your whole life scared of that song? It's a song. Don't make it a monster. So that's our invitation to today, to trust our bodies, our feelings, our intuitions, and when those fail us, as they inevitably will, remember that those very things might just be the glowing charcoal embers that sustain us and help us to trust ourselves again.
So maybe the hope of this story is that Jesus is to Peter, is saying to Peter, and also saying to us, you're going to live your whole life scared of that charcoal fire? It's a fire. Don't make it a monster. Let's join together in prayer. God of grace and God of abundance, help us trust that you hold our greatest joys and our greatest failures in your resurrection body and life. Help us to be kind to ourselves so that we can learn how to be most fully ourselves and fully with you. Amen. Thank you.